Let's pray together. Father, you're good to us. The name of Jesus is the most powerful name. The grave couldn't hold you. Death couldn't defeat you. You are raised. You are reigning and you're coming. And in, in those days, until you do, God, you call us to be faithful. You call us to preach the gospel. You call us to love you with all that we have and to implore people to come in from the highways and the byways and from the farthest, most corners, from those who are down and out. God, those who are far away, you call us to go. Call out the name of Jesus to them and invite them to come in to the party. And so, God, that's what this is. This is a grace party today. You have just lavished your grace upon us, and we want to make make known and make it evident that we love you and that we worship you, and you have no rival or equal. And God, know whether we're worshiping in a barbecue restaurant or in an old theater that's dilapidated, okay, as we speak. You're good, and you will be defeated. You are reigning and ruling, and your glory goes beyond Beyond us, beyond the skies, God. And you, you've decided to, to let your glory rest in your church and all the local manifestations of it, God. And so we pray that we would honor you with whatever place we are and with whatever, everything that we have in us, that we would just honor you, God. And so today, would you just open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes? There may be some today that need to know Jesus, and they are dead in their sins. Today, God, would you make them alive by the power of your spirit? God, there are some who are hurting, who have so many difficult things going on in their life. Would you minister to them, God, and would you show them that, that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning when you trust Jesus? Lord, there may be some that need to be corrected today, God, and so give them a spirit that is willing to accept your correction. Spirit of God. We know this. You exist and you are there, God. You are there, Holy Spirit, to lead us and point us to Jesus. And do that. Your word is powerful and true. It is without error. And it is so powerful, God, it can raise the dead to life. So, God, as we just listen to that life out there that is running around. <laughs> We thank you for the life that you brought here. It's wild and wonderful. And Lord, do not, please don't take your spirit from us, but cause us to follow you more. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're going to dismiss the kids. If you want to go that way, we have armed child care. I'm just kidding. Okay, there we go. Uh, sorry. <laughs> We're also going to pass the offering plates around real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
I need to do something first. I, I listen. We live in a, a, a selfie generation, and so what I'd like to do is this. I think we need to capture what happened today. Okay, the gasping set. So, if you would smile big. I'm gonna get a picture of y'all. Praise Jesus. Yeah, praise Jesus on three. One, two, three. Praise Jesus. That's cool. I wish I had that on video. Hold on. I'm gonna do a selfie too. Whoa. Whoa. All right. Cool. All right. That'll work. Got to talk my head. We're gonna be in the book of Philippians. We're walking through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one. Beginning in verse 27, and we're going to be going all the way down to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I want to go ahead and read that before we get going. So Philippians chapter 1, 27, going down to verse 4 of chapter 2. Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians. He's writing this letter from jail. And he is telling them that the gospel will continue to advance no matter what happens. Whether he is in prison or, or what or, or people having bad intentions or whatever or there's persecution or discord or trouble in the church which there happens to be at in, in Philippi there's some trouble going on he said the gospel will continue to advance but he has words for the church on how they are to continue in the face of adversity and difficulty and trouble and he tells them this in verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1 he says only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So whether I'm there or not, whatever comes your way, stand firm with one spirit, striving for the gospel. Verse 28, and don't be frightened by anything by your opponents. It's a clear sign of them of their destruction, but of your salvation, that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So there's a conflict in the church. Don't give up about your opponents being there. Keep striving and standing. Verses two, verse, or chapter 2, verse 1. And this begins our text for today. just want to put it in context. So if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." Have you ever been to a buffet? Yeah? Yes. Do you ever feel, and most, and maybe just the guys in here, do you ever feel that, that gnawing urge to make sure you got your money's worth? Yes. And that you will not leave anything left uneaten. Okay? And you're going to show up and you're going to be like, okay, I only had three pieces of steak. I got to get it together. I need to rally and come back and take care of that. I don't want to leave a single thing on the plate or on the table. I want to know when I went to Golden Corral, I chocolate fountain. Okay, I didn't put it on fried chicken, but it was fine. I did the chocolate fountain. I did the fried chicken. I did the steak. I did it. I did it. I made sure I had it all. Have you ever felt that urge? 
How about a, any of you have a health savings account and then it expires at the end of the year? Okay? When you have that health savings account, you've been putting money tax-free in that thing, and at the end of the year, that money goes, okay? I don't know where it goes, but it goes, okay? <laughs> I'm sure it goes back to the company and what you're doing, but that money goes. And so, at the end of the year, you got like, you know, you know, five, six thousand dollars, even two thousand dollars, even a thousand dollars. You know, I'm not letting that money go back there. Okay, I am going to keep that money. So you know what you're doing? You're buying extra pairs of glasses you don't need. Okay, <laughs> every style in the world. Like, look, now I look like a professor. Look, now I look like I'm at the range. Okay, now I look like here. Okay, you're buying these glasses, or you're like buying dentures. Like you got fine teeth, but you're buying dentures just in case because <laughs> you don't want that money to go. We don't want to leave anything. I found out. When I was in the, at the University of Florida, that I had this little card that was my ID card. It was called my Gator One card. And I found out that they made my mom and dad, as part of the tuition, put money on that card. Well, I didn't know that. When I found out, it was at the end of the semester, and it was going to go, okay? So I was going everywhere I could. I'm like, I got money on this card. I was buying stuff. I was handing burrito, breakfast burritos to people. I was like, I had to buy these. So here, you know what I mean? It was, you were trying to not leave anything on the table. And Paul here is telling believers to not leave anything on the table. He says here in verse 1, if there's any encouragement in Christ. Now, he is asking these, he's asking these rhetorical questions on purpose, and we could better understand it as since there is encouragement in Christ. But he is he's asking them in a way so that they might see, and he's going to list several qualifications He's going to tell them what it's like to be in a church. And there is all of this good things. There, there's so much treasures to be found by being plugged into a body of believers who are seeking to conform themselves to the image of Jesus. There's so much that can be gained from that. It, it is something that should be tapped into and not left on the table. Now, here's the thing. There are many, some, sometimes it can be very difficult to be in a church. Sometimes it can be very expensive to be in the church. Sometimes when we're in a church, Things, people do things we do not like. That is just the way it happens. But the benefits and the treasure of being plugged into the body of Christ so far outweighs what it will cost you that you don't want to leave anything on the table. If you look at the church, rather as something that you are obligated to do, and more look at it more as something that there's all these blessings and benefits there, and I just want to tap into this and not leave anything on the table. Because Paul says this, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, he says, if, or let's say since, since there is encouragement in Christ. Now, he leaves all of these things kind of vague. He doesn't give them like exactly where you get your encouragement. But he's, he's saying this, in this body of believers here, there is encouragement in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? That, that the church is full of encouragement of those in Jesus Christ. Even if you've been in a church that's a tough place to be, there are somebody, there's somebody there that's encouraging you in Jesus Christ. Guaranteed. That one person that's encouraging you not to give up on your marriage. That one person that's encouraging you to read your Bible. One who's encouraging you in your time of difficulty. If you've ever been in church, if you've been in there for a while, you know that to be true. That there is encouragement in Christ. If nothing else, we get together and we talk about the gospel and that you can't bear your sins, but Jesus bore your sins, and therefore you are in him and you are righteous. That's enough encouragement to get you through the day. There is so much encouragement in Christ. And Paul says, since there's encouragement in Christ in the church, then he says this, if there's any participation in the Spirit, 
And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And here's what the great thing in a church, even a difficult church, there is participation of the Spirit. People working together for the advancement of the gospel. People working together for good things. Even in churches that seem to be dead, there seems to be a little bit of ray of hope where you see the Spirit and they're participating. Even in churches that have really lost the gospel, they're doing good things in the community at least. And there is some participation of the Spirit. There are some believers and they're doing good. But have you ever been a part of a place that was really, really exciting because the, that the Spirit is moving and God is working in the church? And God is bringing people here. We're getting to glimpse pieces of that and parts of that here regularly. In fact, here's the thing. I got on the board. I got asked to be on the board of the Crisis Pregnancy Center. You know why I got invited? Because they heard about all of our church members reaching out to other church, other people. It would never have happened. Because they thought, oh, hey, he's a good pastor. We should put him up there. Yeah, let's do that. No, it's because there was participation in the Spirit, which what we're doing is doing the work of Jesus <coughs> together. And there's all of that is there. Do you know what? Many people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And what it's really pointing us to, that inclination and desire is pointing us to be a part of of the work of the Spirit in the world. The Spirit of God is building His church and advancing the gospel and bringing hope to the hopeless through tangible ways, through justice, through the preaching of the gospel, through hospitals, through love in Jesus' name, through caring for the poor and the needy, through loving those who are outcasts, for loving those who are far off in their sin. There is participation in the Spirit. There's also encouragement, encouraging one another, praying for one another. All of that happens. And Paul's saying, in the church... If there's any encouragement in Christ, of course there is. If there's any participation in the Spirit, of course there is. It says, if there's any affection and sympathy. I think I missed one. Any comfort from love. You've got to bear with me. We're a little, I'm a little bit frazzled today. All right? We're all here. We made it. All right? Well, let's go back to any comfort and love. Do you... We don't know exactly what, what this, he left it broad for a reason. This could be the comfort that Christ brings us in difficult situations. I have seen that even this week, that Christ has comforted people with his good news and his hope and his life in difficult situations. Seen it over the last couple of weeks when we've had deaths in our church family, that there has been comfort and love. But also, the comfort and love may not just come from God, it may come from God working in his people, like food. There's a, a lady, I know that sounds weird, but it's true. We had, we had uh, Allison had her baby this week, okay? You'll see a little red. And you know what happened? Meal Train showed up, okay? That's a cool website. And then food started going to the house. You know what that food is? Yes, it's carbohydrates and fat and all that kind of good stuff, okay? It's delicious. Hallelujah. Okay? But it's also a tangible form of love. And in the church family, there's a comfort and love. <clears throat> We sent at the funeral. We sent food. The funeral homes. We sent cars. We sent all these things. That is in the church, and that is a byproduct of Jesus Christ being in their participation of the Spirit. If these things are in the church, and they certainly are, Paul is saying, and then he goes down and, and, and says, any affection and sympathy. We don't know exactly where the affection is, but affection could be that we encounter in the church an affection, God's affection for us. We see it manifest in different people's lives. We also are allowed to love one another and know what that's like. And sympathy, which is to commiserate with one another and to truly look at another person and to feel a deep sense of sorrow for their situation. And I'll tell you what, 
that is a sign and a work of the Spirit. And all of these things exist in a church, all of these and more, in, in a gospel-centered church. And so to not leave anything on the table, to not leave these blessings un, unenjoyed, Paul asks these believers in verse 2 to complete his joy, to make his joy overflow. Now remember, this guy's talking about joy in prison. And I want to just tell you this again. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness changes by circumstances, okay? For example, I have an ice cream cone. I'm happy. I drop the ice cream cone. I'm sad, okay? I get another ice cream cone. I'm happy. Then I drop it again. I have a problem, okay? <laughs> Why can't I have an ice cream cone? Happiness can fluctuate. But joy is a hope set on something that is eternal and cannot change. And so Paul rejoices. It's an inward contentedness. It's an inward feeling of hope that sustains while even you're in prison, that's rooted in something outside of yourself, namely in the biblical sense, it's rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in the hope of Christ. And so he says, complete my joy, make my joy overfill by doing this. And here's how you tap in to these blessings. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, so same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind, sharing one mind, one spirit, and moving together in this way is the way we tap into the blessings of comfort and love and sympathy and affection that are available in a church body. So we, like a buffet, we don't leave anything that Christ has for us on the table. We enjoy all of the things and all of the blessings that were available to us. How do we tap into that? It's by being in one Accord one mind. My brother-in-law has a ministry. It's called Tri Triumph Community Ministries. Now, he says it, it's, it's, it's Creole because he's Haitian, and I can't say it right. And every time I try to do a Creole accent, it comes out as like a, a Spanish accent, okay, or like a Mexican accent. I never do it right, okay? And it's always terrible. So I'm not going to tell you what it is in Creole, but the English version of, is Triumph Community Ministries. And they have a, they purchased a plot, a plot of land out in Haiti in this town called Pion, just outside of it. And they're trying to get a community center where gospel-centered uh, life can happen and, and people can mentor young people towards Jesus. It's a really cool thing they got going on. And so somebody donated their time and their talents and their money and the resources for a well to be put out there. Now, if you go out there in Haiti, most everything happens. All of their water needs comes from one river. All of it. Bathroom happens there. Washing clothes happens there. Drinking happens there. Showers, sort of. Okay, bucket, shower happens there. Well, they're far away from the river, and for water to be clean and healthy, they needed to tap into that water supply. So the, a team from, I think, Texas actually came out and did this for them. That was a donation. And there's a video, and I'll try to post it, but I'm going to try to recreate it for you as best I can. You imagine... I'm not going like, to act it out completely, all right? Okay. You're like, what is going to happen? So what, what, they were out in this field, and there's a mountain in the background. The mountain that's, uh, Mount Peon, I think is what the name of the mountain is. And they're in this flat field. There's no water. It's super hot. You can tell everybody looks kind of cranky, okay? They got their shirts are sticking to them from, from it being so hot. The well is drilled and prepared. And in the video, they're like, all right, let's start it up. They crank the generator. 
okay? And then water starts shooting out of the hydrant for this fountain. And you would have, you, you the, the joy and the effervescence of it is, it was, un, it was uncontainable. Woo! They're jumping around, and they're putting their heads in it, and they are like, and in this dry and arid place where there was nothing, and nothing to sustain life, now water flows, and they just had to tap into that. And so here's what I'm saying is, the way to tap into these blessings that are available for us in Christ as a church body is, is not to be hyper-spiritual, although that's a good thing to, to care and be spiritual. But most importantly, it is for us to be of one mind, of one accord about the striving together of the gospel. Now, what does that look like? Is that uniformity in the sense like we all wear the same thing, use the same Bible, have the same haircut, have the same likes, dislikes, have the same political affiliation, have the same, um, have the same Jesus fish on the car, or no Jesus fish on the car, have the same style of worship we prefer? Is that what he's talking about? Certainly not. Because if that was the case, we'd be a cult. <laughs> Here's your shoes. Here's your book. Show up, open at the same time. Okay? You cannot do this, you can't do this, you cannot do this. What is our main authority in the church is the scriptures, right? But there's a whole lot of area for, for not being in uniformity all the time. We have different political affiliations, we have different things, we can have different clothing designs, we can have uh, designs, you know, things we enjoy, different different differences of opinion on certain things that are not essential to the gospel. So those are those are things that can happen. So it's not a call for uniformity, for all of us to look like that, for all of us to drink the Kool-Aid and wear the Nikes. That is not what it is. But Paul says here, if you want to make his joy complete and you want to access all of these good things, he says, having complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. How can so many diverse people agree on anything? It goes back to verse 27 of chapter 1. I want you to read this. He says, verse 27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of, God, faith of the gospel. What can connect us to have this unanimity of mind and unanimity of purpose and spirit. It's the gospel and the word of God. Standing firm on the truth, letting the world's opinions and what's hip as regards to, to religion and culture and, and, and morals, let that fluctuate with us standing firm on what the Bible says together and striving together for the sake of the gospel. There's a TV show or there was a TV show, miniseries comes out. I've watched it more times than I like to count. It's called Band of Brothers. It's about World War II and Easy Company. The paratroopers that went into they, they went in on D Day and it follows the whole it follows them like from their training all the way through the world the war. And at the end of the war, they are an occupation force in Germany. And you know what keeps happening? People keep dying. You know why? Because you give a bunch of soldiers, a bunch of soldiers have weapons and they have no one to fight, and so dumb things happen. Okay? And because of that, there was people that were shot, killed in car accidents, somebody got drunk, there was a drunk driving thing. It was a, it was, it was a tough situation that they were in. And why did it happen? It's because these people who were supposed to be there to fight an enemy had become, and had come to peacetime, and 
They had no enemy to fight until bad things began to happen. And I want you to see this. The one mind, one accord living that can happen in a church will not happen by any other way than us standing on the truth and us striving together for the advancement of the gospel. See, we are not here to preach sermons that make us pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, that was good, or to sing songs and say, oh, that's a really good song. I want to sing that again. That gave me the Jesus goose pimples. That is not why we are here. We are here to worship God and to advance the kingdom of God. And if we get off course with that, we will eat each other. Because the thing that keeps us together is that one mind, unanimity, striving for the glory of Jesus and the advancement of that here and everywhere else. Starting here in Hartsville and also going to those other places. More advancing, more striving, more. And less, listen, will it be difficult? Yes, because there has to be encouragement in Christ, right? That's there. Will it be difficult? Yes, because there's comfort and love. Will we all agree on everything? No. But if we are striving together, and if our singular focus is the cross of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, and what that can mean, and if we are singularly focused on that, we will move in the same direction. And it requires of us, and Paul gives us this, it requires of us, if we're going to tap in, we have to tap in through unity. We tap into these blessings in the church by striving for unity. And here's how it happens. Verses 3 and 4 tell us how this happens. How we can be of one of mine and tap into these good things that are available in the church. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So there's a negative, there's a positive. And verse 4 is going to continue to this. And it's, it's, it starts off in verse 3. Don't do anything from rivalry or conceit. Okay? Just gonna, I'm on a medal for a minute, okay? Let's just get this and let you know I'm on a medal. Have you ever seen somebody post about how great they are as a parent on Facebook or Instagram or something? Come and check out my organic fun things I'm doing for my kids, okay? And do you ever, ever want to punch somebody because of that? You're like, there's two things that are going on. Conceit and rivalry are hand in hand. Sometimes we're like the person putting that on, you know, I don't bother putting that on there. They just want everybody to see how great you are. Then what if you already, what happened? Their conceit leads to your rivalry. Well, I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make octopuses out of hot dogs. <laughs> you ever seen that before? My kids aren't eating regular hot dogs. They're going to eat octopus hot dogs, okay? That I made. It's like, here you go. Look at how great I am. And then you're going to be like, octopus hot dogs. Just living that life, okay? I mean, and then, then the rivalry can see, the rivalry can see, the rivalry can see, okay? This happens in the church in a lot of ways, especially if people are wanting to make, to, to, for you to pat them on the back about their big, their big dealness. It can happen in pastoral circle, circles. It can happen in the church. Like, I want you to acknowledge how spiritual I am. I want you to acknowledge how much I'm serving. I want you to acknowledge this. And sometimes what happens, that conceit leads to rivalry. And that person's over there like, mm-hmm. You see what they're doing? They're not doing the money. I think they are. Okay? <laughs> rivalry and conceit are vicious circles. They can show up. In, they show up in our life. And they can show up. They cannot show up in the church. And they do. But they must be killed like all sin. 
And how do we do that? It's to, to go ahead and say, I will do nothing out of conceit and rivalry. And so you try to acknowledge those behaviors in your life and your thinking. Okay? Because remember, we're one mind, one spirit, striving together for the gospel, right? So there's one mind. So we have to take our mind in conformity with Jesus. And he's going to talk about that later, have the mind of Christ. Okay? And he's going to talk about that next week when we look at this. But we got this, do nothing out of rivalry, conceit. And here he gives the positive. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So here's what humility is in biblical terms. Biblical terms, humility is not down, downplaying yourself. But it's thinking about yourself less and thinking about other people. So if you want to start, you know, if you want to know, if you want to go on the humility train, it's hard to be humble. Because if you go, come and see how humble I am, then you're just like, it doesn't work, okay? Right? Everybody, come and look. I'm really humble today, okay? I really humbled myself. Everybody look at it. Look how I'm serving people. Then you're not really humble. That's the hard part about it. So here's the thing. Let's take the focus off ourselves. In fact, I just took a selfie, right? You know you got that little camera on there thing? You know, when you pull up the, the camera app, okay? First off, next time you pull up the camera app, see which way it's facing. That can show you what you're thinking about the most. I'm guilty. There's a little camera in the bottom right-hand side. First off, you usually open it and you look like Jabba the Hutt, right? Because you're underneath your chin. Like, oh my gosh! I gotta work out my chin. We get some chin weights, all right? That's not good. So then there's a little camera that has like arrows and you switch it, and what does it do? It goes from looking at you to looking out there. Humility begins in the church when you stop looking at yourself and you start looking at the needs of other people. And you're saying, well, man, people are going to run over me. No, if we're striving together in one mind and one accord, if everybody's looking out for the other interest, somebody's got your back. In fact, instead of you just looking out for it, you're going to have 100 other people looking out for it. Looking out for your <coughs> So it actually makes life a little bit easier. Will there, will there be problems with that? Yeah. Are people perfect? No. Are you perfect? No. Do you need Jesus? Every stinking hour of the day. Yes. You do. So so that's where it goes. If you want to tap into this one mind, this we have to go and we have to start crucifying the flesh and go to this place where we don't do anything out of rivalry or conceit, but the opposite, the positive way, but in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. That means others have more value than ourselves. We do this, we, we can do this in our family easier than we can do it in our church family, but I, I argue this, that we need to start crucifying the idea of the church as a tent, if you attend a church, but you belong to the church. And that you see, you see each other as family. And we see each other as the family of God. And you put up with a lot of junk from your family, your blood family, when you're not. The passive-aggressive comments... <laughs> the comments about your way or appearance, your hair or lack thereof. You put up with that and you keep showing up to those reunions. You may not like it. You may have to take some value before you go, but you show up. You put up with those people who have told you off. You put up with those people who have done those things to you. Well, why do you do it? Well, they're family. Well, what if I said that there is a, a family that's bigger, that has a better leader than your current family, and it's the family of God? And if we look at it this way, as you're counting your brothers and sisters as more significant than yourself, why is it that we will go without something to give it to our kids? 
give something to our kids? Why would we go without gifts on our kids? It's because we count them as more important than ourselves. What if we took the attitude in the church and we could tap into all the blessings that were there? What a difference that would make. And then we regard that person as more significant than ourselves. Verse 4, let each of you not look only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is three ways. Just like the first part of chapter 2, kind of three ways to talk about the same thing, of us having a singular focus, of us standing on the truth, striving for the gospel, that we can be in one mind and full accord, okay? That, that, that we can do that by coming to humility. This is the same way, verse 4 is the same way of saying what he said in verse 3. He says, let each of you not look out for his own interests. We do look out for our own interests. By nature, that's what we do. But don't stop there, because most everybody stops there. i got to get mine. It's all about me. It can't stop there. It has to go to the next part. But also to the interests of others. And to be concerned about how everyone else's spiritual life is going. And I want to say, I want to give you just, just one quick word about this. A lot of times when we get in the church and we start serving in places or we feel apprehension about serving in places is we first and foremost consider how it will affect your time and schedules. That is not unimportant, okay? Because God gave us a rest and a rhythm thing to life. So, because some of you in here who are serving like mad people, okay? And that's a bunch of, and a lot of those people serving mad people down there, I guess probably act like mad people, okay? All right? <laughs> Here's the tendency. Those who are serving like crazy are going to be like going self-flagellation, flogging yourself. I know I can do more. I know I can serve more. I know I can do. Okay, that may not be for you today, okay? You may need to rest in the grace that's here, the comfort in Christ and those sympathies, okay? And you may need to strive in those. So this is not a call for you to like to not think about your own interests at all, but to consider the interests of other people as more important. And to think about when you come to serve, not only think about can you do it, but First and foremost, how will my serving give love and encouragement and advance the gospel here? How will it? And if we start thinking of it as, oh man, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, how can I serve kids? You know, recently, in the last year and a half, we baptized a whole bunch of teenagers. You know where that's come from? Not youth ministry directly. That's come from children's ministry. Because most every one of those kids, not all of them, most of them, have come up through our children's ministry, now into middle school, high school, and they come to know Jesus more. It's the cumulative effect of people seeing their needs as more important than their own and investing in students. We see that all the time. That's that's God. That's that's the good news. And you're seeing they, the little kids. Jesus said, "Don't hinder them to come. They need Jesus." Just as much as you do. And you see the people who are constantly inviting and, and getting people to come in the church and, and getting into messy lives. Because, listen, lives are messy, okay? Especially when Jesus is not the center of, the, of lives. They get real messy, okay? And then we see people who are investing in people who are messy, tough people. And sometimes they, they take advantage. And that is seeing and seeing and that, they, that they're thinking about what the ministry will accomplish and what goodness is happening there. And I want you to do this. I want us to change our way of thinking into a one mind thinking about striving for the sake of the gospel. You know something? Charlottesville County is growing. They're putting in houses everywhere. 
the elementary school. There's a ton of kids at elementary school. Just go, go to the, we had a rally day yesterday. That's probably why I got a little more sun than I usually have. There's just kids everywhere in their parents. They need Jesus. And we have been given a glorious gift here that we have been given the gift of faith. And it's our job to make him known and make him loved. And that's going to come by us tapping into these good things in Christ. For us having this one mind, striving together for the furtherance, standing on the scripture, striving for the furtherance of the gospel by coming to the place where we don't look for our, look to ourselves to tap into these things, but we look to other people and we start thinking about other people. And the best illustration is this. Today, when you go home, get your phone out. Flip it open. Is it facing you or is it facing out? We will not go any farther until all of our cameras are facing out. That's just the truth. And in so doing, and here's the beauty of this, we tap into the riches of the church. Of this one-mindedness, this one-strivingness that can happen in a church. We tap into that... And we're like, my brother-in-law and his friends when the water starts flowing. It was a lot of work to get that well down there. That well didn't serve them directly. But when the water was open and they tapped into it, there's a whole lot of rejoicing and refreshment that comes there. So here's what I want us to do, okay? I want us to take a moment and just be, be still, okay, not quiet, because quiet's not going to happen, okay? <laughs> you hear it out there. Hug those people. <laughs> Take a moment of stillness and ask where you need to turn and repent. Because all of us do. Because none of us are free of rivalry and conceit. No, we are walking in one accord, which is evidence somewhat, but if we don't guard it and watch it and strive for it more, it can be gone. Unity can be gone in a moment. Sin, getting in, that's got to protect us. Is there a level of your, is there a place in your life where you're feeling like the victim and you're not fighting from the victory? Is that you? You need to go ahead and confess that to Jesus and move on. Is there an area uh, that you are like, that you're so focused on yourself? Is your camera facing you or is it facing out? Let's take a minute. The Spirit of God is working. Take a minute. And let's bow and close our eyes. Not if there's anything significant about it, but it helps us focus. And just take a moment and do some business with God. Speak to Him. Marinate on the Word. And then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, we come, we confess sin. 
We confess that we need you to, to bind us together in unity. And that comes through humility. And we all have a problem with that, every one of us. God, keep us from rivalry and conceit. Help us see others as more important than ourselves. And let us not look out for our own interests, God, but also keep in mind the interests of others. God, would you give us a spirit of unity around the gospel that we would strive together to see kids and families know Christ here and in Tennessee and in the world? God, that we might be a part of that. And help us to not try to build our kingdom, but to build your kingdom. Lord, we're thankful that this happened today. Thank you that you provided this place, God. And thank you. We pray that you bless Trent and Amber and their work for the gospel. And God, we pray that you would bless them. And Lord, we thank, we're thankful for these kids that are out there. We're thankful for their workers. We're thankful for the workers and the volunteers that you're going to raise up here as we begin to take and turn our cameras from facing us to facing out. So God, would you, would you help us see and have the mind of Christ? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.